0: Okay, this started. Now let's go to our slides. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for receiving us uh, as your own by giving us the life of Christ from above. We pray that. You finish your work in us through the day by day work through the Holy Spirit and through the week by week work through the communion, the reminding uh, of us who we are in Christ and through the teaching of your word. Today, as we are teaching about your word, we pray that you open our eyes and give us a big picture, which I pray strengthens our faith in your word and through that in you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So today we are continuing our study of what do we believe about the Bible, part three. How was the New Testament formed? What do we believe is like a systematic theology in a nutshell. It will be going through ten doctrines, and each one uh, will be what we believe about something. The first is about the Bible, and this is number three. How was the New Testament formed? Last week we talked about how about... How did the Old Testament form, right? Was that interesting if you were here? Okay. Well, I hope you're interested in this one too. And this is even more believable, I think. Okay. (laughs) First of all, um, let me introduce you to what the mainstream academia says on the uh, New Testament formation. They make the world old and make the Bible young, generally speaking. Okay. And then the intention is to reduce the Bible's authority, because they know in our heart, the instinct is, on the matter of religion, the older, the better, all right? The younger, the worse, okay? So, uh, we believe in the Bible, and the Bible actually is the oldest book of the world, okay? And then... Um, and the New Testament is the only book that has copies as old as the first century. Every other book has only later copies. Okay. So, um, yeah, we believe it because it's old. Okay. And then they make the Bible authorship collective and vague. They never say one important person made this. They always say, oh, it's a collective, and, the, and somebody make this by adding pieces and bits together. So uh, the the purpose is to make it less real It reduces actuality and reality. Uh, so they don't believe in individual and in actual authorship. And on the gospel, they say that the church collectively formed it during, let's say, AD 60 to 120 and kept changing it until the 400s. The reason they stopped at 120 is because we found manuscripts as early as that. So Otherwise, they would have gone later. And on Pauline epistles, they say that um, the Pauline authorship does not apply to the pastoral epistles nor the Hebrews. And on the general epistles, they say the Petrine authorship does not apply to Second Peter. And on Revelation, they gave the authorship to a John the Elder other than John the Apostle. Because there are two tombs in uh, Ephesus to a famous John, and and one church father in Alexandria who did not like the uh, coming of the physical kingdom of God, uh, the millennium, in Revelation, so he tried to reduce the authority of uh, the Revelation, so he was the one who proposed that it was the John the Elder who wrote Revelation, not John the Apostle, just to make it a slice lower in authority. You can see that it's all some sort of unbelief that caused these positions. As believers, we believe the following, which is our foundation uh, on forming the theory in New Testament formation. We believe that the Bible recorded actual history of the world, especially the people of God, uh, Israel and the church. We believe that the actual people, significant in biblical history, wrote the books of the New Testament. Some wrote with Amanuensis, which means secretary, okay, scribes, and some with themselves, with their own pen. And uh, Uh, Some books were originally written in Greek, and some books were translations or rewriting in Greek. We believe that editorial works happened, but no content was changed, only the order was changed. And uh, we believe that minor errors happened in the copying process, um, but no doctrine was ever affected. And uh, since the New Testament has so many extant copies, more than any other ancient document, and also closest to the original, the New Testament was finished in 100, and we have copies as early as 120. So you can't be earlier than that, okay? Uh, Although, you know, the earlier it was, the the more fragmentary. But as as of 200, we have complete Pauline uh, epistles, okay? dated to 200, which is the latest it could be. It could be earlier, actually. So, uh, since the New Testament has so many extant manuscripts, modern textual criticism can restore the original New Testament with 99% accuracy. What just, you know, believe and practice that 99%, The 1% leave the scholars to discern, you know, you're a pretty good Christian, you know? Um, So why worry about that? little difference. Okay. And we believe that the added comments may have been left in the text of the New Testament. There are a few places that, uh, you know, the New Testament kept on growing bigger and bigger because the the writers, as they copy, sometimes they put in a comment and the later copiers think that was the original because theologically it's correct and, and and it's pretty good. So that's why the New Testament kept on growing and growing. So what today's Textual criticism is actually to remove the addition and to find the original, okay? And that can be done because you have so many you can compare. And um, uh, the additions, they are not wrong, they're just not original, (laughs) okay? Uh, They are removed by the textual criticism, which is not deleting from the Bible, as some say, but deleting what was added to the Bible, okay? We're deleting man's words, not God's words. So I'll talk more about this in our fourth section okay? and because it became kind of a big deal. And we believe that the New Testament editors guarded the authentic books and kept out the forgeries in New Testament pseudepigrapha. Yeah, you have heard about the Gospel of Judas, goddess of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and so on so on. Those are forgeries. They are pseudepigrapha, which means pseudo epigrapha written falsely in others' name. God does not have to reveal the truth through falsehood. If God writes, it it comes in their own name, and it doesn't have to go through falsehood. So we believe that all the authors and editors in a New Testament formation were honest and pious believers of God, as the same as the Old Testament writers and editors. So the collective work of them all formed a work that is legitimately called inspired by God. So, here is the way that we reach our believer's version of New Testament formation. We respect the testimonies in the Bible, absolutely. For example, Second Peter testified that Paul's writings are scripture. They're inspired by God. So, that's biblical testimony on the New Testament. Biblical testimony on the New Testament. And we will respect that, absolutely okay and then we respect the traditions by the church fathers as much as evidence allows church fathers are not always correct neither are they always consistent uh, with each other or uh, harmonious with each other but as we can har- harmo- har- harmonizing all of them with the hard data okay so we accept them as much as we can okay Because you don't know better as them because they lived closer to the reality, right? So you can't know better. So our attitude is you believe in the Bible and you respect the tradition until you have hard evidence against it, okay? And we recognize all the hard dates in both the internal evidence and external evidence. Internal is in the Bible, external is in history. Okay. and we harmonize all of the above to form the believers version of the new testament formation when some evidence is conflict with each other we choose to accept the authorship by the significant people in new testament history as the traditions testify and allow some later updating for example we're going to allow the translation of an earlier book and we allow the updating like adding a chapter or a verse etc <clears throat> so, new discoveries have influenced our theory, the one I'm presenting to you, uh, of New Testament formation. These so-called new discoveries have not been prevalently ex- uh, accepted uh, among the uh, academia, and not even among evangelical academia. So, I'm giving you the front line, best research in the field. Okay. and. Uh, Chronology, number one, important. I believe chronology is the backbone of history, right? So, chronology is very important. The chronology on the New Testament, especially on the life of Christ, Paul, Peter, and John, we have these now sure results. Christ was born on December 24th, 5 BC, the traditional date of Christmas Eve. It could be the previous evening or that evening. So, that could be a day of error, but no big deal. And uh, his ministry was three and a half years, as tradition says, from fall 29 to spring 33. And uh, of course, those three and a half years can be thus divided. Half a year of Judean ministry from fall 29 to the spring 30. Then he went to Galilee, he had two years of a Galilean ministry, okay, where his ministry thrived. Okay? His ministry in Judea was not successful. People ignored him. But his ministry in Galilee thrived. Okay, And then in the last year, so for one year, he had a ministry from Galilee to Jerusalem, going through um, Samaria and then Judea and Jerusalem. So he's going to be cru- crucified on his way. And in that process, he called the 70 apostles, 12 in the seven The first stage, six apostles, second stage, twelve apostles, third stage, add another seventy apostles. Okay, so that was the general division of the three and a half years of ministry. And Paul, he his conversion was in 34N, that means Nisan years, and slash 35. So is in the last three months of the Nisan years of 34, and therefore in the first three months of 35 in our uh, Julian year, January, March, February, March, during that process of um, it, that, that section of 35. But in the Nissan year tradition, is 34. Okay, but in our, it's 35. And uh, uh, he had his first three missionary journeys in 48 to 49, 50 to 52, 53 to 54. And uh, he had his first imprisonment in Rome in 57 through 59, okay, after two years imprisonment in uh, Caesarea. And uh, he had his fourth missionary journey to Spain in 60 through 67, actually through 64, and then he went to other churches. Then the second imprisonment in Rome is uh, was in 67 through 68. He had his martyrdom on March 31st, 68, okay. together with Peter. And Peter, he was imprisoned by Harold Agrippa I in 61, in the spring, In during the Passover season. He was about to be killed after the, the feast. James the Great was already killed. Peter was the next. Um, but he was released by the angels. Peter was released by the angels. He went to Antioch. Um, He systemized and founded, I guess, officiated, whatever, the church there. And uh, he went through Asia Minor, founded many churches in between, and uh, he founded the Church of Rome in 43. These are hard dates in church history. And uh, he sent Mark to Alexandria in 45, founding the church there. That's also a hard date in church history. And uh, he was in the Council of Jerusalem in 49, and he was martyred on March 31st, 58. Okay. Uh, John, the apostle, he was a youth during Christ's ministry, circa 20 years old at 633, no, at 30, 8033. And then he took care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was his aunt. Okay, uh, his John's mother, John and James' mother, was Salome, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So... These two brothers were cousins of Jesus, and uh, uh, he took care of Mary. Jesus told John on the cross, "Take care of thy mother." Okay, uh, so he took care of Mary in Ephesus, and he was uh, exiled in Patmos until 96, and died in 100. These are also hard dates. Now, the document of 12 apostles and 70 apostles by Hippolytus of Rome. Uh, this is another new discovery that influenced our uh, theory of New Testament formation. These two documents were list, written by Hippolytus, who was a church father who lived in the late 200s and early 300s. He was a bishop of Rome. In today's words, it would be a pope. But of course, there's no pope until after the, well, Gregory the <laughs> First, 590. So he was just a bishop of Rome. And, uh, um, he was the student of um, Aaron Nails. And Aaron Nails was a student of Polycarp. And Polycarp was a student of John the Apostle. So he was only three generations away from John the Apostle. So he had some insider's information. Okay? And he wrote these two documents. They're not long. Uh, they're in Greek. Uh, the Eastern... Orthodox Church uh, observed that tradition. They kept that tradition pretty well with some variations. But the document was lost to the church for many years until it was rediscovered in a monastery in Athens in the 19th century. It is included in the 30-something volume Church Fathers, but it was questionable. It's listed as questionable. <laughs> uh, I read it and I found out it, it is totally consistent with the New Testament and so accepted it as real, church history. And um, in these documents, they reviewed that Paul served Christ for 35 years. And this could only be possible if he was convert, converted in 34N, <laughs> even though it's in 35, but it's in 34 Nisang year. And he died in 68N <laughs> Nisang year. So we know March 31st, um, 68 was in 68 Nisan year. It's, it's uh, after the Nisan one in that year. So he served with inclusive counting because the Jews counted apart as a whole, right? So he served 35 years. So this was a r- r- writing by somebody who knows the Jewish tradition. He wrote by the Nisan year tradition. Okay. And uh, among the disciples of Jesus, there were three James. James the Great was James the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, the cousin of Jesus, okay, because their mother was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then there was James the Less. He was James the son of Alphaeus, and also one of the sons of the other Mary, Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph, who was the wife of Cleopas, And Cleopas happened to be the brother of Joseph. The earthly father of Jesus. So in that sense, uh, this is also an adopted cousin of Jesus. Okay, and uh, um, and so is Matthew Levi, <laughs> and uh, so is um, Simon the Zealot. Okay, and they are from Clopas from there. His ex-wife. You know, they become widowers and wid- widows, and they remarried. And James the Just was James the brother of Jesus. Okay, and he. Um, According to our Greek Bible, he was one of the four brothers of Jesus, and there are two sisters of Jesus. Tradition tells us that the sister's name, or well, the brother's name were given in the Bible, the sister's name, tradition tells us they are Mary and Salome. Okay? So, Jesus' you know, father had four children. Did the mother have, sorry, seven children. And did the mother have seven children? Well, the, our Hebrew Matthew said Jesus' brothers, and it didn't include James. So it is possible that James was the son of Joseph from a former wife who died, and then uh, Joseph remarried Mary, and Mary had six children rather than seven. If that's the case, then James would have been the firstborn in the line of kingship. Okay? However, he's in the line that went through Jehoiachin, who was cursed, saying that no descendants from him cannot be the king. So he was—he would be older than Jesus, but he knew his position, and he deferred to Jesus, and that showed more of his um, piety, and you know, than uh, uh, than anything else. Okay, so it was called James the Just, um, with uh, for uh, justification. So, no matter what, so he's either the half-brother of Jesus or the adopted brother. Okay, But he was considered, uh, he was the first of the 70 apostles. He was a believer of Jesus from very early time. Uh, and what about the Bible saying that his brothers did not believe in him because he said, "Uh, uh you know, he he told his brothers, you can go to this uh, Hanukkah uh and uh, I am now going. But later he went. Okay? Because they told him, if you are the Messiah, why don't you go and show your miracles and have everybody accept you? Jesus said, no, 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 I won't do that. So, and then the Bible in John said that they said this because of unbelief. So because of that, most people say Jesus' family didn't believe him until after his resurrection. Well, yes, after resurrection, Jesus did specially appear to James the Just. But does that mean that he wasn't a believer at all? I think the unbelief needs to be gauged. Okay, It's not unbelief in Jesus' deity. It is unbelief in Jesus' adherence to God's timetable. They wanted to rush. And then Jesus says, no, I have to wait. Okay, That is an unbelief. Just the same kind of unbelief appeared in Peter, right? Peter denied, didn't he? Denied Jesus three times, right? And then didn't he actually say to Jesus, you cannot die, you know? And Jesus said, Satan, get behind me, right? So that is also an unbelief. It's that kind of unbelief. It's not trusting in God's timetable rather than unbelief in Jesus' nature and identity. So I believe James was a faithful believer of Jesus position as a son of God as the Messiah of Israel and he was one of the earliest believers and he was listed first of the 70 Apostles and he was one of the two uh, Bishops of Jerusalem mentioned in The 70 Apostles document the other was Clippers Clippers was his uncle so since Clippers was older it's very possible that Cleopas was the first bishop, James was second bishop. But it didn't take long before Cleopas died, and then James became the bishop. Okay, so James, rather than the first bishop of Jerusalem, he was the second bishop after his uncle. And they are both in line for kingship, but at least they are uncle and brother of the new king. Right? So in that sense, they have some special authorities. Um, the visible kingdom concept never died with the Jews, even with the believing Jews in the first century. Okay. So uh, there were three Marks also. Mark the Evangelist was the author of the Gospel of Mark, also the translator for Peter. John Mark was the missionary intern, and Mark the cousin of Barnabas is simply that, Mark the cousin of Barnabas. So the latter two Marks are not the same. Therefore, Barnabas' kindness to John Mark was not due to the kinship, but simply due to his kindness. Okay? This elevates the character of Barnabas. And then Luke, Mark, and maybe Apollos, they were all listed in the 70 apostles. They were among the 70, and they, were, uh, they left Jesus due to the hard sayings in John 6, when Jesus said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh— you're not going to be worthy to be my disciple. Jesus has taught a lot about his disciples, that they are in a new kind of kingdom, not the same Judaism as the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees preach. So the difference is now so big that these disciples thought that Jesus wanted them to become cannibals of him. And they said, this is too much. That's hard saying. And many left him. And then Luke and Mark and then maybe Paul was among them those. So they never heard about Jesus' death and resurrection. They were not in the faith, at least the first two. Uh, they were restored to the faith once they were uh, met and taught uh, by Peter and Paul. So they became assistants to Peter and Paul. Okay, One translator, one personal physician. Okay, Paul's I think, came to faith by his own. He tried to prove Jesus was Christ by the Old Testament. And uh, uh, another new discovery influencing our theory of New Testament formation is the textual evidence by uh, two books from David Trobisch, the first edition of the New Testament and Paul's Letter Collection. He actually touched and then read through these early manuscripts. He is a German scholar he found biblical evidence, uh, the, the manuscriptural evidence of the first edition of the New Testament. And they have certain structures. The four, four Gospels are always one. And then the Acts and the Catholic Epistles, which is another name for the general Epistles today, they are always one. The Pauline Epistles are always one, including Hebrews. Okay, And then Revelation is always one. They are separate in four sections. Okay, And the uh, um, Trobisch, he made this discovery by actual text. Okay, It's hard evidence. This is undeniable. But because he made this these discoveries, he could not stay in Europe anymore. Nobody, nobody is offering him places to teach. So he had to come to America and teach in a kind of second-rate evangelical Bible school. This is a very good place to teach. This is what happens when you... <laughs> when your facts are against the powerful people's beliefs, okay. So, but I believe it. I, I think this influences our uh, formation of a the theory, and also the discovery of the Hebrew Matthew and Hebrew Hebrews. I have both manuscript copies, printouts in, in, on my table. So, the Hebrew Matthew, according to Shem Tov, as de- discovered by George Howard of University. University of Georgia in the 1980s and 90s, uh, he believed that it it is close to the original. I believe it is the original because I found the uh, literary markers, uh, such as in the Sermon on the Mount, there were literary markers saying, and Jesus said to his disciples, these things do not bring new information except it's a division. Okay? and uh, they are all in the right place if you if you match these uh, sermon the body of sermon with the eight beatitudes and that kind of correspondence was lost to the church until i found it again and then it, therefore these things cannot be added in by people later to be all in the right place right the new add ins will be some right some wrong right is they're all rights? that shows that it was the original, when the author tried to to uh, let you know th- these kind of divisions. Uh, however, the translator thought that was evident, it does not need to be kept. Well, I'm sorry, it was not evident to the rest of us. So it was lost and then rediscovered. Okay, And I believe that the Hebrew Matthew, according to Shem Tov, was the original. And there's another Hebrew Matthew, it's called the Dutile Hebrew. Um, that was translated by Hugh Strongfield and James Trim, and the latter one gave us also the Hebrew copy, which I'm trying to type in now. And I believe that one was a retranslation back into Hebrew okay? because it has a lot of conformation, conforming to the canon- canonical Matthew in Greek and, uh, and in Latin uh, Vulgate. And also it has a lot of similarity to the Aramaic uh, Matthew. So, I think it was a retranslation. Either it's a recension of the Hebrew to conform to those, or it's a retranslation back into Hebrew. But anyway, we know that the first Matthew was lost, or while maybe the second became necessary. So, we have the Hebrew Matthew. Hebrew, Hebrews, I haven't studied it much yet. I haven't typed it in, but I have a translation of the original, and um, it used the the Hebrew Bible. However, I know that some arguments in the Greek Hebrews uh, utilized the the Septuagint as an argument, so some recreation was done in the translation. Okay, that's worth studying. So you can see I have so many things in my hands. I'm studying this and that, this and that. This is what these are part of those things. Okay, Um, another new discovery is. Uh, the author called Ernest Martin. He is a British scholar, an actual archaeologist who dug at the Temple Mount. And he wrote many books, and one of them is called The Restoring the Original Bible. And he suggested the process of New Testament formation through Paul, Peter, and John, as well as the symmetries between Old Testament and New Testament, symbolic relationships. And they are very precious. Uh, Daniel Wallace, a professor in Dallas Theological Seminary, he proved with textual evidence that John, the gospel of John, was written shortly before the fall of the temple. He took 69, and I'm slightly earlier, but irrelevant. So my realization of the first century expectation of the day of the Lord in AD 66 through 73, and uh, the identification of the false teachers in Jude, 2 Peter, and Hebrew as zealous, and that is my realization after knowing all of these. And now we have general confirmation from mainstream scholars, liberal or evangelical, uh, that the, the dating of the New Testament books traditionally was too late. They need to redate it to make it earlier. John A.T. Robinson was a liberal scholar, but he says that facts, not belief, pushes him, push him to redate these books all before 1870. I think actually John's writings are after. But anyway, he is, in a sense, supporting us. And uh, um, John Wenham, who redated the Synoptic Gospels earlier, and he was an evangelical, and C. Clayton Cry, he wrote the mutilation of Mark's Gospel, which I agree that Mark's Gospel um, was written not in a scroll, but in, uh, um, in a book form. And the outer page was in one page, so the outer fo- uh, page, the outermost page was lost. The original outermost page was lost. Therefore, if you uh, the, the the scribes, they added one sentence in the beginning. They added a passage at the end to make it look whole. Okay? But those were additions; those were not originals. Okay? And they, they were not wrong; they're just not original. Okay, so. Uh, these discoveries influenced our uh, conclusion. So now look at the chart, the, the, um, the timing of the writing of the books of the uh, New Testament. You can see there are four sections of, uh, well, three, uh, uh, four sections. The four Gospels is uh, what I put in green, and uh, the Acts of the Apostles and the seven Catholic Epistles are always together, so I put them in close uh, colors. Um, and uh, the writings of Paul, uh, fourteen, including Hebrews, is by itself, and I put it in a purple color. And then the Revelation of John is a, uh, independent by itself. Okay, and uh, the um, the vertical white ranges—they are the events that caused the writing of these books, and they. These books are related. The first writing of the New Testament was the Hebrew Matthew. I would say it's right after Jesus' death and resurrection. It happened in 33, so the book was, let's say, written in 34. Why 34? Well, because at 34, Stephen was killed. Persecution happened. And the disciples scattered. And the church father said that uh, when the disciples scattered, each of them took a Hebrew Matthew. And they translated as they wish. So it must have been ready when they scattered. That's why I say 34. And uh, at that time, the church was totally Jewish. And uh, let's assume that uh, um, the first bishop of Jerusalem was Klupas, he was the uncle of Jesus and James, and he's old, and he died pretty soon. And then it was—he was the was second of the second seventy apostles. Okay, and then then the first of the seventy apostles, James became the bishop of Jerusalem. So he wrote the book of James to the twelve tribes in diaspora. He was writing to the Jews, to all Israel, representing all Israel in all of the world, and he was writing to the Jews. Be they Christians or not, he's instructing them how to live in light of the arrival of the spiritual kingdom of God with Jesus as king. And of course, he, as a brother of Jesus and the bishop of the mother church, he has authority to give the instructions on how to behave. And He basically retold the Sermon on the Mount. You can look. Somebody already wrote a dissertation in Dallas about the Sermon on the Mount in uh, James. Otherwise, it would be one of my possible research projects. But it's already done. (laughs) So um, these two books were the earliest, 34, 35, when the church was almost all Jewish. And uh, then, uh, remember, look at down there. Uh, Christ died and resurrected in 33. And that date was actually 476 years after 444 BC. It was seven years shorter than 483 years if you use the year in the normal tropical year. But if you use the prophetic year, 360 days, it will be the right time. But that wasn't known to people to humans yet. God didn't reveal this prophetic year until the book of Revelation, right? So to all humans, the devils and the angels include, included, they thought that Jesus was killed early. Okay, And in the right time, 40, somebody else became king of Judea, and his name was? Herod Agrippa I. That's why the Jews regarded him as the rightful Messiah, and he uh, fit himself into the role. He started to clean the kingdom of heretics, the the, the contenders of the throne. So he killed James uh, the Great because he was from actually high priestly bloodline, killed him. And then he was about to kill Peter when Peter was released. So that was 41. And then he went, Peter went to Antioch and then uh, made the church official, uh, made, ordained the pastors, including Paul there. And then he went through Asia Minor all the way to Rome, arrived in the winter of 42. He founded the church in the spring of 43. Hard days in church history. And uh, he was the first bishop of Rome. Yes, Peter founded the church of Rome. Okay? And that the Catholics are right. He was not a pope, because there had been no pope until the 6th century, but he was the first bishop of Rome. And uh, after that, he wrote the first Peter the, uh, to the churches that he just founded in Asia Minor. He said the church in Bithynia, in Asia, and so on and so on, it's all in Asia Minor. It's the church that he just founded. They are all Jewish churches, which he's founded. Okay so that's first Peter, first Peter, therefore, is the second letter right after James, and uh, if James was written to the Jews, 1 Peter was written to Christians, okay, but on the transition from the visible kingdom to the spiritual kingdom, he said, you are all priesthood okay uh, of God and um, right after that you said uh, you look at the Paul, Paul was converted in 40, you know, 33, 34, and then he began his ministry, Uh and, and they did not do missions until after 47. What is 47? That's 490 years after 444 BC, which means God's plan for restoration of Israel has ex- expired in their mind. Therefore, it's time for Gentile missions. So, when was the first Gentile mission missionary trip? Right after forty-seven, in the spring of forty-eight. Coincidence? Don't think so. Okay. So they all acted based on chronomessianism, a time-related messianism. Okay, of when to expect Messiah. So Paul started the first missionary journey. Uh, after which he came back to the, uh, um, he came back to the. Um, To Jerusalem to report, and then they had the Council of Jerusalem when they accepted the Gentiles as uh, legitimate uh, members of the kingdom of God. But right after that, Paul discovered that the Judaizers from Jerusalem went to Galatia and they corrupted the church that he just founded. So Paul wrote the Galatians in 49 with great anger, saying, you who preach about circumcision, I hope you cut yourself off. You know what I mean. <laughs> Not very polite, you know, but he he was very much in anger. And uh, that, that was his first letter. Maybe he had a little bit more uh, fleshliness then, you know, he got kinder later. Um, that was Galatians. And that's one letter in the first missionary trip. In the second missionary trip, he wrote two letters, first and second Thessalonians, basically teaching about the end time. It's coming possibly in one generation, but don't bet on it. Focus on transforming character first, not just the, you know, the, the change of fate. And then in his third missionary journey, he wrote three books, first and second Corinthians and the Romans. The, the Corinthian church was a problematic church, but it was a rich church. And uh, Paul raised support from them to uh, give to the church in Jerusalem, trying to ameliorate the relationship between the Jews and Gentiles. It was kind of an intention. Paul did bring the money there. The church in Jerusalem accepted him, but the other Jews arrested him. (laughs) And uh, uh, Romans was an instruction for the church of Rome. Uh, It's kind of a new church of Rome. The Jewish church of Rome scattered after uh, the uh, emperor, uh, what is called, uh, um, Claudius. Emperor Claudius drove out all the Jews because Peter's mission was so successful that the, the believing Jews and unbelieving Jews in Rome were were having a civil war. So the Claudius drove out all the Jews, believing or non-believing, and therefore the Jewish church was gone. However, the true Gentile disciples, they made mushroomed and formed a Gentile majority church in Rome. That church has never had a one of the 12 apostles uh, in them. So Paul usually don't go to where other apostles go. But in this case, it's kind of a special case. Peter was there, but he was there for the Jewish church. Now this is a Gentile church. So Paul wrote a letter to them as the book of Romans, instructing them what to believe and what to do, okay? And then also he explained what God's plan for Israel. Israel is shelved, but not destroyed and not given up. <laughs> God, Israel will later be restored by God. And uh, that was Romans. Romans is also a support raising letter for him for his planned fourth missionary trip to Spain, okay, which he did uh, do. And uh, uh, when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, he was jailed first in Caesarea. Then he was sent to Rome, and it, during his Roman first Roman imprisonment, he wrote four letters. Okay, three in one year in 358. They are Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Okay, they were carried by one letter at one time called Tychicus. Okay, so the the letter of um of Ephesians was a encyclic. Encyclic means it is to, to be spread uh, copied and spread out. To whom? To the seven churches, seven kind of head churches where bishops are. Okay. And there are small towns and small churches under their jurisdiction. Okay? So the what are the seven churches? Read Revelation 2 and 3. Okay. There are Ephesus. Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay, And under the jurisdiction of Laodicea was a small town called Colossae. That's where the book of Colossians was written to. And Paul also told to the Colossians, after reading this book, read the book from Laodicea. Well, there's no book to the Laodiceans. It's the same book as the book to the Ephesians. Because that one to be a, is, is an encyclical to be spread out to there. Actually, today we have one copy of uh, um, the uh, book of Ephesians. To, from Apostle Paul to the church in blank. <laughs> it's supposed to be filled in. Okay? And, uh, and that's how it, it, it was. So Colossians was teaching to the church in Laodicea, no, no in Col- Colossae, which was challenged by another kind of Judaizers. Okay? They want them to return to observe their Sabbath days and the feasts and so on, so on. He's teaching them, number one, we are different from them because we admit the deity of Christ and they don't. Number two is that you are free in Christ. You can observe any day as your rest. You don't have to be on most uh, some specific day. You are a son. A son is free. You're not under the rules anymore. You understand the spirit of the law. So uh, you know the character of God. Just live to please him. That's enough. So that's a a masterpiece. in uh, Well, Ephesians and Colossians, they're all masterpieces about this. And then... Philemon was about forgiveness, personalize it, because uh, Philemon was a um, a church leader in Colossae. He has a slave, uh, uh, Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away, (laughs) and that was a crime, okay, deserving death penalty. So, but God arranged, arranged that Onesimus was converted in Rome by Paul to Christian. And then he's sending him back to his owner, challenging him with a letter saying, hey, I have spread to you the grace of God. How are you going to use the grace of God to your former slave? Of course, you're going to use grace, right? Forgive him. And then, of course, his slave, you're going to forgive the slavery. And then they are living as brothers. Onesimus later became the church, uh, a a bishop of a church. So it was a great story. So that was... um, those three letters. And then in the 59, Philippians was written. Philippians was written to a church that uh, supported Paul's missions from the beginning. Paul always loved them, but they have some bickering now in between. So Paul wrote to them about Christian psychology. What kind of heart you should have? The heart of joy, the heart of peace, and the heart of so-and-so service. And so-and-so. Okay? So if you want Christian psychology, you want to live in what kind of feeling, emotion? Read Philippians. Okay, and uh, after these four letters, oh, during the same time Paul was in jail, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the um, Book of Acts, let's say in 58, 59. They were written as legal defense for Paul, trying to prove that Christianity is not a cult, and then Paul was not a seditious citizen of Rome. And then he wrote this these books to Theophilus, which literally means the one who loves God. Well, that's just a euphemous name. And it's to somebody who will decide whether or not Paul will be released. And who did Paul appeal to? Caesar. Right? So most likely, Theophilus was Caesar Nero. okay, And he read these and he said, yeah, Paul's not guilty. So he set him free. Okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, and after that, Paul had his fourth missionary journey. Had, I think four years, uh, 60 to 64, four or five years in Spain. Then he went to other churches in the 64, 65. During that time, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, all about church leadership. Okay? And uh, then in 66, that is the beginning of this so-called seven years of tribulation by the first century people. Okay, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, well, he was answering how many questions? Three, right? Number one is when will the temple fall? Number two has two parts. What are the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so he answered these two three questions in reverse order. Second question first, mm, portion first. What are the signs of his coming? Well, there will be false crafts, white horse, um, wars and rumors of wars, red horse. Uh, there will be famine, black horse. There will be uh, earthquake and then uh, plagues that will be mass death. That will be the pale horse. Those are the four horses of. Revelation six, right? And then what about the fifth one? Persecution in Jerusalem. What about the sixth one? Stars it's falling of stars. That's seal number five and six in Revelation six. So Jesus gave us the signs, which later was expanded in Revelation six. Okay, and uh, uh, and then it was the tribulation. But what are the signs of your coming? Um, well, he. Oh no, the signs of the end of the age. End of the church age, Jesus says, when the fig tree has leaves again, the summer is near. All right, so uh, basically, he's saying that uh, uh, when the state of Israel is restored, the end time has begun. Okay, and that has already happened. Okay. And uh, what about the falling of the temple? The first question, last answer, he says, all of these shall be fulfilled before. This generation passed away. And how long is one generation? 40 years. When did Jesus say that? 33. After 40, 73. Minus seven years of tribulation, 66. Therefore, Jesus was expected to rapture the church in 66 and come back on 73. But there were thousands of Jews who believed in him, supposedly. But they are also zealous for the law. That's not really in Agreement, you know, you're in Greece. While you're in grace, why are you zealous for the law? Well, they were expecting Jesus to behave as the Jewish Messiah to restore the physical kingdom. So, he uh, Jesus resur- uh, rapturing the church in 66 is a test on whether or not he is the true Messiah. He didn't do that, therefore, many of these people went back to the old religion. So, for that. You know, the the Zealots have already been preaching, said, we can become the Messiah if we rise up against Rome in these seven years and last longer than seven, then we'll become the Messiah. But uh, four letters by the apostles were written against the believers to go back to them. Gospel of John was written, saying, Jesus is God. Okay? Don't depart from him. And then Jude uh, I mean, Paul wrote Hebrew saying don't return to the old religion because for those who tr- have experienced the Holy Spirit and return, the trample over the Son, there is no redemption. Okay, And uh, uh, Jude wrote a letter to, I think, to Peter um, in Rome. <clears throat> Jude wrote it from <clears throat> Jerusalem saying how bad these false teachers are, the Zealots. And then Peter wrote back, giving them a standard, list of standards of heresies, and say yes, they are heretical. And by the way, Peter also affirmed Paul's letters are uh, scripture. So that's the, these letters. And after that, of course, 70, the temple fell, 73, Masada fell. And then the church withdrew from Jerusalem, went through Syria first, and then um um, elsewhere, you know, Jordan and Syria. Paul, I think John wrote Gospel of John and uh, um, and translated the Gospel of Matthew all in Syria, and then he went to um, Ephesus. So uh, later, how did the formation of the of the Bible? Okay, I already told you the writing happened. How did the formation? Well, it's after uh, it was Paul. He asked, when he was in prison after written Hebrews to his brothers, he, Paul asked Timothy to get his cloak, which actually means his leather box that contains his scrolls. Now, those are copies of his letters, which he believed was inspired by God. And Paul asked from Mark, the evangelist, to deliver his letters to Peter, asking to confirm his idea of expanding the canon to include a New Testament. Okay. Because apparently, 66 came, Jesus didn't rapture the church. The age of grace is going to be a long time, not one generation. It's the fall of temple that Jesus meant for one generation. The age of grace will be long. The church needs some guidance. The Old Testament is not sufficient. Let's have more inspired books from God and form a New Testament. Paul said, I believe my letters are inspired by God. I'm delivering it to you. I'm now in jail. You look at it, and Peter look at it, and says, "Yes, they are inspired by God." And later, he was um, jailed, so he he entrusted John to develop and finish the New Testament. So, who wrote the New Testament or organized the writing of the New Testament? Well, God did it, but it was Paul who had the idea. Peter affirmed it, and John finished it. Okay, actual significant people in history who did it. <clears throat> and uh, um, Peter and Paul were martyred together on March 31st, 68. John was entrusted to finish the formation and editing of New Testament. John wrote first John and uh, a- as a summary of New Testament theology, with second and third John as cover letters. These are all around 90, and uh, he-, he did this for his disciples to go and teach. And John was exiled in Patmos, here he received, uh, uh, or there he received the, Revo- uh, the book of Revelation, which he published after he was released in 96. The disciples of John wrote John chapter 21, except the last verse, and he, he finished the last verse. So this marks the finishing of the writing of the New Testament, published after John's death in 100. Okay. Now here is a chart on the arrangement of the books in the New Testament. You can see four kinds, okay? And uh, look at how they are named, though, and what order are they in. The four Gospels are named after the authors, right? But the order are according to their first edition. Matthew was counted as the first Gospel. However, Matthew's Hebrew version was the first written, but the Greek translation was the last, so, if you according to the latest edition, it will Matthew will be a fourth gospel, but he was it was the first gospel. Therefore, Hebrew Matthew must be counted. That's why I believe the complete uh, Bible in original language is not complete without the Hebrew Matthew according to Shem Okay, a critical text. Okay, and then uh, the Acts of the Apostle and the seven. Uh, Catholic epistles—they are all together. The Catholic epistles were named after the authors. Okay, and the order is by rank in the church. See, James was the uh, brother of Jesus and the bishop of the mother church. That's why he's highest in rank. Peter was the first apostle, but he's just an evangelist and an elder, so he's less the second. Okay, and John was an apostle and he also a brother of well, cousin of Jesus, and is also, uh, well, high blood, high priestly bloodline, okay? That's why he listed after um, Paul, and Jude was listed after him. If Jude was a brother of Jesus, he could have been moved further, I mean, uh, more earlier. But if Jude was the other name of Simon the Zealot, who was Simon the Bishop of Jerusalem, who was the second, well, third Bishop of Jerusalem after James. Then he say, "I'm a brother of James." Would make sense because he is doing the same job James did before, and uh, he would be the one who approves the New Testament as the uh, bishop of the mother church. And uh, of course, Pauline epistles were named after the recipients. Therefore, the books. The book of Hebrews was named not named after an author, it was named after a recipient, therefore, it must be Pauline epistle. Right? <laughs> the, the one who named it when it first appeared knew it was written by Paul, so that's why it was named after the recipients. Okay, and by the way, the position of the Hebrews was moved later and later. At first, in the second century, it was listed right after Romans. In the fourth century, it was after Galatians. In the f- fifth century, uh, well, no, in the um, third century is after the Galatians. Fourth century is after the uh, uh, second Thessalonians. In the fifth century, it was after Philemon. And then uh, the uh <laughs> According to Martin Luther, so this was the New Testament according to Apostle John. Okay, Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they are the Gospels. They are like the Torah in the Old Testament, and the Acts and the uh, uh, the Catholic Epistles—they are like the early prophets and the later prophets. Okay, the early prophets actually are historical. So is Acts historical? Okay, and then the Pauline Epistles. Uh, They are kind of like the poetry and the wisdom, because uh, Romans, Hebrews is general. They're like Psalms. And then the other uh, letters of the church are like Job, about righteous suffering. And the personal letters are like Proverbs, etc. It's about wisdom in how to live. And finally, Apocalypse of John is like the history book in the Old Testament, because the history book was headed by Daniel. And wouldn't we say Daniel and Revelation are of the same kind, right? So I think this was the original New Testament according to Apostle John. And then uh, in the Catholic Church, they moved Hebrews later, and they moved Pauline epistles before the the Catholic epistles. And Martin Luther, because um, the Jews encouraged him to do Reformation, saying after you you succeeded, we'll follow you, and after he succeeded, they say no, no way. So he got very angry with the Jews, and he's. He called the Hebrews, James, and Jude the Jewish straw books because they emphasize works uh, you know, in contrast to Paul who emphasized in, um, in grace. So he put these three books, he pulled them out, put them after the general epistles that he approved. <laughs> Very interesting. This order did not stay long. Now most of the churches go as we go. Okay, uh, The so-called new Protestant church order for the New Testament, we have the Gospel, the Acts, the Pauline Epistles without Hebrews. And Hebrews is um, before the general epistles. They are grouped as one. And the author of Hebrews is in a question mark. Okay. And uh, and then the Apocalypse. Apoc- so this is the New Testament. We see editorial works. We see change of orders. But no change of content. No change of doctrine. All right. So, um, the Old Testament originally uh, in the time of Jesus and Josephus had only 22 books. That's why, uh, why 22? Because that's the letters in the Hebrew alphabet, okay? New Testament has 27 books, which happens to be three times three times three. Kind of a trinity of trinities, okay? And uh, 22 plus 27 is forty nine, which is seven times seven. That means completion. Okay, that's why at the end of Revelation it says, "You shall not add nor delete." Okay, and uh, the the Revelation inspira- inspired scripture is fixed, no more. Okay, and uh, then later the Masoretic text had twenty four books because they pulled out some books uh, and then to read at, at the five scrolls. But that was not the original. The Septuagint had 39 books because of further divisions. And thus, the modern Bible has 39 plus 27, that's 66 books. Not really a good number because 666. <laughs> but the original Bible was how many books? 49 books. 22 plus 27. Okay. So this, I believe, is how the Bible was formed. There were changes later, but the core is the same. So let's trust in the Bible, and through its message, trust in God's message. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together as your people. Thank you for giving us your word in the Bible. And uh, we, uh, as uh, we understand more of how the Bible was formed, uh, we have a more and more uh, realistic picture as uh, the reality. And we pray that because of this understanding, we will trust in your word and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please stand for closing verse. I've chosen the song we sang earlier. My tribute, I thought it was befitting, we will just start with To God Be the Glory. Remember, there's cake afterwards. Love to join you. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things He has done. With His blood He has raised me. With this power, he has saved me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Pastor. If the love of God and the mercy of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and me with us, from now till we meet Jesus face to face and for his glory in his name.